Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. What's going on, Life Church? How we doing? Um, hey guys, my name is uh, Pastor Dusty. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, I'm also a clinical psychologist. Um, and I've worked with a lot of couples over the years. And so as we were kind of gearing into this series and this week specifically focusing on sexual intimacy, um, I, Dave said, you're taking it. And I said, okay. So anyways, um, so we are continuing in this, in this uh, working through this book of Song of Solomon and we're looking at it through the context or through the lens as Solomon likely at the end of his life likely looking back at the life that he did not live. This book is almost like a confessional. Solomon was someone that had 700 wives, which is just insane, and did not live out this relationship ideal. And so we're looking at the book through this lens. And in week one, we looked at attraction and, and what, what attracts us to another person, things that we should be looking for in regards to attraction. Uh, last week, we focused in on dating and what a dating relationship, the ideal dating relationship should look like. And so this week, we are moving into the raciest chapter that exists in the entire Bible, in the, in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter four. And, um, and, and we're focusing in on this moment where Solomon has now, he's gotten married at the end of chapter three, they have the wedding ceremony, and now there's an entire chapter devoted to the wedding night. You guys ready? Let's rock and roll. Hopefully all the kids are gone. Okay, here we go. So um, as, as we were kind of, uh, as I was thinking about this, this service and I was thinking about this, this idea of the wedding night, um, and the wedding day, I, 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 I began to think back uh, to our own wedding. And, and our, our wedding was, uh, we had, Christy and I had dated for three and a half years, or dating slash engaged for three and a half years. And it was, it was really important to us that we remain sexually pure before we got married, that we, we held that sexual intimacy as something that we wanted to wait for until we got married. And so as the wedding day is approaching and I did all the wonderful things that any fiance should do, I went and tasted all the cake and then I, I went to the flower shop and looked at the stuff and, and, and we checked out venues and we eventually settled on Genoa Lakes golf course down there and like all of that was fine. But my one job was the honeymoon. And it was a surprise and I planned everything to a T. She'd never been to Hawaii before, so I got the tickets to Kauai. I booked the, I booked the hotel rooms. I booked the sunset cruise. I booked the kayak excursions, the snorkeling. I planned for our honeymoon night to be at what at once was uh, Caesar's Palace up in South Lake Tahoe. I had the limo ready to pick us up from the wedding venue to drive us up to Caesar's Palace. And I had this vision in my head that we would run through and leave our friends and family at the end of a long day, and we would get in that limo and we would have this intimate moment. Maybe we'd make out a little bit, start priming the pump for the wedding night. We made it 60 seconds down the road because I forgot one key detail that my new bride gets very, very carsick. And so she rolls down the little window to the limo driver and says, hey, can I ride up front with you? 
Now, thankfully, limos don't have a passenger seat. So he kind of looks at me, looks at her. He's like, there's not a seat up here. We spent the 20-minute drive up to Lake Tahoe with the window down and her head stuck out the window and me sitting there twiddling my thumbs. The story gets even a little bit worse. When we finally arrive to Caesar's Palace, we come walking in, she's in her wedding dress, I'm wearing the rented tux. Why do we just get rented tuxes? Anyways, I'm wearing the tux, we're walking in, all eyes on us, walk up to the desk, I'm checking into the honeymoon suite, and the guy looks at me and says, oh sir, you have a message from your mother you need to give her a call right away. Apparently I'd taken one of my groomsmen's car keys when we were taking pictures and they were still in my pocket. And anyways, that's as far as I'm gonna tell that story today. Okay, so we are jumping in to this idea of what sexual intimacy should be. And our point number one is this, that sex should be more than just sex. Open your Bibles with me if you would to Genesis chapter four, verse one. Here we go, lots of energy, here we go. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now for those of you that have been in church a long time, you know that the Old Testament uses some rather weird language whenever it talks about a husband and wife having sex together. That Adam knew Eve just means that they're having sex together and then she conceived and bore Cain. And, but that word no I wanna focus in on because in the Hebrew it's the same word that's used in a slightly different context. In Psalm 139, verse 23, when the psalmist is writing, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It's the same language, it's that same word of knowing. And, and so when the Bible's talking about Adam knowing Eve, what he's talking about is this ultimate intimacy that exists within a relationship, that sexual intimacy begins with all aspects of intimacy. It begins with emotional intimacy, relational intimacy, intimacy within the friendship that we're doing life together. It's this ultimate knowing of the other person. And I think inherently we all know this, that if one of you is uh, primarily the man or in a bad mood for three or four days and you're not helping out around the house and you're just kind of rude and you're just not really present and you're not focusing on your wife and then you're like, would you like to go have sex? The answer tends to be no. Why? Because the other aspects of intimacy don't exist. And so sexual intimacy is more than just the physical act of two people having sex together. And within the context of a marriage relationship, a committed relationship, it's this idea that both people are turning towards the other person, that we are connecting in ways that are more than just sex. Sex was designed by God to be pleasurable, pure, prioritized, pressure-free, putting the other first, and passionate, Sex is the most intimate, vulnerable space that we could ever be in with another person. When God created Adam and Eve, they were naked together in the garden and they had no shame. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. That this sexual intimacy, this complete knowing of the other person, that it exists within a relationship where literally we are the most vulnerable 
with this person, that they know everything about us. They know our deepest, darkest fears, our anxieties, the things that allows us to be able to be present with the other person and this focus on. And so as we talk about sexual intimacy, this is the first aspect here, that sex should be more than just sex. Our point number two is that sex should start far before the bedroom. Here we go, Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse one. It says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Here we go with the animal stuff again. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Every woman loves a good goat reference. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young Men, if you're looking for a way to compliment your wife, maybe don't focus on the teeth, unless she's gotten veneers or just got her braces off. Maybe that's a good compliment to do there. But what Solomon is focusing on here, that especially in the ancient days, having all of your teeth was a sign of health. It's a sign of physical health that, that oh wow, you have all your teeth. I see, you got one here, you got one on the other side. It all matches. I spent two months in Turkey a long time ago, and the mayor of the village that I stayed in, he had seven teeth. He had one on the top and six on the bottom, and the gap on the bottom is where the top one went. That, that it's a sign of physical health. He's noticing these aspects about her. All right, way too much time on teeth. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. He's now kissing her. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. Men, do not describe your wife's necks as stone. <laughs> On it hang a thousand shields, all of the shields, all of them shields of warriors. What is Solomon doing in this moment? You see, Solomon, they have now left the wedding reception. They've entered into the wedding chamber. This will be the first time that they will be intimate together. And in this moment, Solomon's not coming in like Conan the Barbarian and just ripping off all of his clothes, ready to go. But Solomon is taking the time with his new bride, that he's focusing in on all the aspects of her. He's noticing her eyes. He's noticing that when he kisses her, that her cheeks turn red. He's focusing on her complexion. If you remember in chapter one, when she talks about the insecurity she had because of some of her complexion, that he's focusing in on her features, he's speaking to her insecurities. You guys, sex starts far before the bedroom. Northrop Schwartz and White did a study of over 70,000 couples from 24 different countries and found that couples who reported having great sexual intimacy had several things in common. And we're gonna put that slide up there. One, they say, I love you every day, and they mean it. They kiss one another passionately for no reason. They give surprise romantic gifts. They know what turns their partners on and off erotically. They keep playing and having fun together. They cuddle. They make sex a priority, not the last item on a long to-do list. They stay good friends. They can talk comfortably about their sex life. They have weekly dates. They take romantic vacations. And they are mindful about turning towards. Now that language, that turning towards language, 
Uh, for any of you that are familiar with uh, John Gottman, he's a psychologist. He has this language of turning towards, meaning that, that you notice the other person, that there's, when, when your partner is upset, I'm turning towards that emotion instead of running away from it or fighting it. So it, it's, it's uh, de-escalating that pattern of defensiveness and criticism that can exist. And, and some of you need to take a picture of this. Men take a picture of this. Men take a picture of this and look at it every day, every week, every month for the next year. If you notice, the majority of things on this list have nothing or very little to do with the actual physical act of having sex. But couples that are in this healthy space recognize inherently that sex begins far before the bedroom, that they take time to notice the other person. They take time to pour in relationally to the other person. It's important that our focus begins to shift, that if if we want to increase sexual intimacy in our marriages, we have to begin to focus on all of these things. In fact, the stats even bear this out even further. Only 6% of couples that don't cuddle together have high sexual intimacy. Wives, you can nudge your husbands at this moment. Need to cuddle more. Only 9% of couples that can't talk openly and honestly about their sex life to each other have high sexual intimacy. And so the stats bear this out that we want to begin to cultivate this, this, uh, this place just as Solomon is doing here that before they even get to sexual intercourse, before they even get to the physical act of having sex, that they are now focusing on one another, that he's focusing on his bride. We continue on in verse five. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. Solomon has now left farm animal references and we've now moved into the forest. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. He's likely looking at at her and women in this day and culture would have worn a necklace that would be filled with spices at the end of it that would lay between her breasts that would be filled with myrrh, with frankincense. And so that's the, the reference that he's giving there. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. Making a lot of mountain references there. Just gonna leave that where it's at. Sex should be selfless and mutually satisfying. Our point three is that sex should be selfless and mutually satisfying. What is Solomon doing in this moment? Solomon in this moment is taking care to move through the progression of sex for his wife, to make it as pleasurable for her as he possibly can, that he's, he's starting with these fo- this focus of her eyes and her lips and he's kissing her and he's now moving He's now moving into foreplay and he, he is putting his wife first, that he's taking the time that it takes to cultivate this sexual intimacy. And we're gonna get scientific here for just a second. And I, I, I think it's important to be able to, to look at this stuff. Sex is important to God. God created sexuality. And so for us to be able to unpack this and to look at this, but when we talk about 
having an orgasm. Men tend to have an orgasm 95% of the time. For some of you men, that is the only A you've ever received in your entire life. But for women, this can be a slightly different story that 48% of women do have um, all or some, uh, all or most of the time, 19% of women more than half the time, 9% of women about half the time leaving, 24% of women to never or rarely experience an orgasm. And so why am I focusing on this? Because the goal is that sex should be selfless with two people putting the other person's needs before their own, that women take longer for sexual intimacy, for passion, for desire to build within their bodies that, and so many different areas of the brain that are activated during sex, I can't even go into them. The, the amount of areas in the brain, and yes, it's true, men tend to think about sex more often than women. Your hypothalamus is 2.5 uh, times the size of a woman's hypothalamus, meaning that you have sex on the brain a lot more. But when we engage in sexual intercourse, there is a bunch of stuff, amazing stuff that happens in our brains that we produce dopamine, which is in the reward center of the brain. We produce oxytocin, which is the intimacy chemical. It's the thing that pairs us to the other person, which is why God set this up for sex to exist within the context of marriage. Sex is not a, God did not create a sexual system where we get to connect with as many people as possible all of the time because our brains aren't wired that way. They are created to connect with the person that we are having sex with at the most intimate level. We also have serotonin. Women are wired where this brain interaction that happens for them far exceeds what our brain interaction is for them. That that oxytocin that's produced for a woman when sexual desire and pleasure has been met that, that oxytocin releases a connectivity chemical that's so powerful where it strengthens the bond between the man and the woman. And so sex should be selfless. It should not be something that's just quick and we're done and then we don't have to think about it, that men, you need to focus on your wives and what turns her on erotically. Okay, Whew. here we go. Thank you. Okay, verse 12, here we go. A garden locked is my sister. When he says that word, uh, my sister, he's just meaning my beloved, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. So in this moment, he's talking about the, the aspect that she is a virgin and that they are about to have physical sexual intercourse. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with the choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. Thank goodness we've left the animals. We're talking about some spices going on here. With all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Oh boy, okay, and she responds to him, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. And in chapter five, verse one, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice, I ate my honeycomb with my honey, I drank my wine with my milk. He's talking about this excess, this moment of ravishing to where they are fully connected now that they are engaged in physical intimacy. And it's this picture of this selfless, selfless path for this couple 
being in this moment and that the marriage bed is a place of mutuality, that he's putting her needs before his own and that they are in this moment of now ecstasy. And so there's something, and I wanna focus in on this a little bit right here, that um, within the evangelical world, and this is uh, for any of you that have walked with, with Jesus for a long time or have read any number of marriage books that have existed in the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there can be this message that sometimes exists that it creeps into the church to where the books focus on that men want sex all the time and so therefore women should give sex all of the time. This, this idea of obligation sex or duty sex. And, and what this tends to set up is this belief system that men want to have sex and that women don't want to have sex or that they don't find it as desirable or pleasurable as a man does and it's just simply not true. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses one through six, and I wanna read this in the Message Bible because I think it gets to the heart of what this message is. It says, now getting down to the question you asked in your letter to me, first, is it good to have, uh, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. I'm gonna read that again. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. And so what, what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 7 is he's talking about this place to where the, the husband sets his wife's needs above his own, that the wife sets her needs above, um, the husband's needs above her own. But in some evangelical uh, circles, this has been twisted and manipulated to say that because men want to have sex more often than women do, that therefore women should have obligation sex or duty sex. And what ends up happening with this is it actually sets up a system that doesn't work. And the stats bear this out. I'm gonna go into this in a second, but it's fascinating to me how much whenever I read of things that are psychologically healthy, they line up with the word of God. That when we begin to see things that are healthy that God desires for us, that, that they line up to the word of God. And many of you know this with your own sexual stories, that sexual, your sexual story or your partner's sexual story can be a thing of pain, can be a thing that produces strong emotions, whether it's previous sexual partners, affairs, pornography, that, that, that our sexuality was intended to be between a man and a woman and in that context. And yes, God heals and he focuses on those things, but our sexuality now in the context of marriage is not something of obligation sex where one person's 
has all the pleasure and the other person is experiencing none of the pleasure. And when women enter marriage believing that they are obligated to have sex with their husbands whenever they, their husbands want it, they're 37% more likely to experience sexual pain and 29% less likely to frequently orgasm. And, and so it's this idea that this sexual pain Statistics are actually higher within the Christian, conservative Christian community than it is in the secular world. Why? Because we've almost set up this belief system where some women enter into marriage not believing that sexual desire, that it's for them, that sexual pleasure is for them, and it creates this dichotomy to where it becomes one-sided. And, and so many women report obligation, message, motivations for having sex. 19% of women to keep their husbands from sinning sexually. 35% of the time they feel guilty when they turn their husbands down. 17.5% because their husbands become unpleasant when they don't have sex. And 7% because their husbands treat them badly if they don't have sex. And I wanna focus in on this, and men, I'm gonna talk to you for just a moment with this. But if you, if you are taking your sexual sin, and you are putting it on your wife or guilting your wife into having sex so that you don't sexually sin, stop. It's wrong. If you are treating your wives unpleasantly or even treating them badly because you're not getting as much sex as you would like, stop. It is not the heart of God, and it is not the heart of what God set up here as we've gone through this entire thing and we notice what Solomon is talking about here in this moment, that he's placing his wife first, that he's putting her desires first. Yes, do men tend to stereotypically think about sex more often than women? Yes, but the idea of sexual intimacy is this connection here, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I want all of you to just be in a sexless marriage, or that, well, if we only did it when she wanted to do it, we'd only have sex once. I'm not talking about that that sex is something that we should place a priority on, but we should do it in a way that creates health within the relationship, that there's a connectivity there, that there's an emotional connection, a relational connection, and ultimately a physical connection of sexual intimacy. This is the way that God set it up, that this passage here in 1 Corinthians 7 does not create this dichotomy where it's obligation sex only, or that the woman rarely enjoys sex. That's not the way it's set up. And when women hold that belief, they tend to find sex less pleasurable. Our final point, and then we're done, is that sex can be a source of pain, but there is a path back to joy and fulfillment. It is not lost on me that there's any numbers of couples in here where sexual intimacy has become an issue. Maybe it happens far too infrequently. Maybe it's completely gone away. My experience is that sexual intimacy tends to be one of the first things that disappears when a couple gets into distress and can be oftentimes one of the last things to come back as a couple works through the path that they need to work on. For my young couples in here, that are newly married, the amount of millennial couples that I see that have stopped having sex, that number's high. Sexual satisfaction on a natural level tends to dip. 
We tend to see this pattern of slight increase and then dip, and this is where you have all the kids and they just pull on you and need everything, and, and, then, and then sexual satisfaction tends to go up from there. In fact, the highest level of sexual satisfaction that most couples have is towards the end of their relationship when we don't quite look as good as we once did and our stuff does not work quite as well as it once did. But this high level of satisfaction, I read this story in a book this week of this, this man who talked about is he's towards the end of his life and how with physical limitations they could no longer have sex, but he felt so close to his wife as they just held each other towards the end of their lives because the emotional and relational connection was so strong that they had placed such a priority on the, that thing and they'd had such a wonderful sex life throughout their relationship that it was the, the center of focus that even when that had disappeared, their intimacy was at an all-time high. And so for those of you that find yourself in a place where you do not have as much sexual intimacy as you would like to have, or if you find yourself in a place where sexual intimacy is just not a table and you are really dreading getting in the car after this service, there is a path back. We can have a path back. But it starts slowly. It starts with the friendship. It starts with recultivating that relationship that we had Y'all got married once upon a day, which means y'all really liked each other once upon a day. And we can find that path back, that focusing on the friendship. Begin dating again. Go on weekly dates. Buy something romantic for your wife. Buy, plan a, a, a night out away from kids for your husbands. Make sex a priority if you're in that space. If you're in a place where we haven't had sexual intimacy or the marriage is in distress, please go get therapy. Please go do a marriage intensive. Please go do a marriage retreat. There are so many couples in here that I know that have worked as mentor couples for other couples that are coming out of difficult places. Find those couples. Come to us, we can help connect you with those couples. Find a group where we can begin to work on these things and move back towards a place of sexual intimacy. If you find yourself in a place where you are re-engaging uh, with sex and it's something that has been a place of pain, take it slow. Talk. Talk about fears. Talk about anxieties. Give grace to the other person. Let this be a place where we can reconnect because God's ultimate goal is that this is a picture of the most intimate human connection that hearkens something that we can't even fathom with our intimacy that we will have with God one day. Not that we're thinking about sex and God, and I know that gets a little weird, but the, 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 um, I just made it weird. That's great. Okay, so, um, but it's this idea that our human relationships and our relationship with our spouse is the most intimate thing that we have in our entire life, the place where we are the most vulnerable and the most honest. And I wanna give you guys a couple of tools as you walk out of here today. If, if In the app store, there's a great app. It's called the Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, card decks, like decks of cards, card decks. And in there, there's a bunch of different uh, uh, sets of, or series of cards uh, that produce all sorts of uh, conversation starters for all different areas in your marriage. And there are three specific card decks. There is Salsa Mild, there's salsa medium, there's salsa spicy. 
Some of you need some mild salsa right now. Some of you need a little bit of medium salsa. Some of you are ready for the hot stuff. Continue focusing and working on building sexual intimacy with your spouse. God loves each and every one of you and he cares so deeply about your relationships and he wants so deeply for your relationships to be a place where sexual intimacy thrives. Let me pray for you guys. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the gift of sexuality. And God, I lift up every couple that is represented here, every family that is represented here. Our families, our marriages are the place where the devil loves to come in and wreak havoc and destroy. And I just pray right now, a covering over conversations that will be happening today and through this week, that there will be a focus on sexual intimacy. There will be a focus on relational intimacy and emotional intimacy, that sex would be something that is not a source of pain, but something that is a source of ultimate love and freedom within these marriages here. I just pray a blessing over every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.